All right, good morning. How we doing? Doing well? You sound good. You look good, as always. That's great. Some people look a little tanner. That's, that's really nice that you're here. Uh, and speaking of vacations, I hope you take a vacation. Those of you on vacation watching right now, it's the beauty of technology. We can continue to connect uh, together. And speaking of that as well, I told you last week that our elders, our, our board, uh, we have come up with a plan for me several years ago about a rhythm of rest. And so my, my plan and uh, you know, our, our elders, our board wants us to, for me to live by, honestly, is to not teach more than 40 times a year. And so we teach multiple services a weekend. So kind of put a cap on that. And some of those weekends, that means I'm here and not teaching. And some of those weekends, that means I'm not here uh, and not teaching. And so we've got a couple of those weekends coming up and starting next weekend for the next few weeks, just as a way of reminder to you. Uh, and some of that, my, my wife and I'll be on vacation. And then some of that will just be me spending time with the Lord and praying and seeking his will and direction for our church. And I'll talk more about that in the sermon and why that's so important. But I just want to remind you of that. It's coming up. And so as that happens, make sure you stay connected to the life of our church, whether you are on vacation and watching or here uh, and and celebrating our our teachers, our pastors that will be teaching. Pastor Chad will be teaching. Several of you may not even know him because he's been up in our Jasper location getting that started. And so uh, you'll have a treat next weekend. He'll be teaching. Then Corey, then David. Uh, So make sure you're here. I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss their messages. Um, They're going to be teaching through Romans as well. And so we'll get into Romans chapter 7 next week week, uh, the beginning part of Romans chapter eight. I'm telling you the hardest part about taking a break is I just love teaching. Uh, and so I'm actually kind of jealous that they get to teach through some of that stuff. And so I'll be watching myself as well. And then I'll come back and we'll jump right back in, uh, to Romans, uh, chapter eight and finish out the summer. All right. So be praying for us, myself, my family, as we take a break. And I hope that you take a break as well. And as you do stay connected into the life of our church. All right. So if you got a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 6. We are finishing out chapter 6 today. We've just been teaching through this letter to the Romans, which has been called arguably the greatest letter ever written. And if you haven't figured that out already, why it's the greatest, and hopefully you do, it's because Paul wrote this in such a way where he just anticipates everybody's arguments as he's writing, and then he answers that as you can, as you would naturally think, oh, here's my argument to that, and then he answers it. This is why Harvard Law School used to make their uh, people that were getting into that school read the letter to the Romans because Paul argued like a great lawyer. They don't necessarily do that anymore. But the point is, is he just argued in an unbelievable way. And so as we think through, okay, here's kind of how I would respond to what he's saying. He naturally answers that question. And you're going to see that happen again here in Romans chapter six, as he talks about now our new life in Christ. How do we live? Do we live as though we, we just free to do whatever we want now, or what is our obligations? And so that's what he's going to continue to answer in chapter six. So we're going start in verse 14, which is where we ended last week, and finish out the chapter in chapter 6 and verse 23. But as always, before we do that, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together, all right? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. And God, I pray as we open it today that you would help me to communicate it rightly, and God, you would help us to hear it. We know that your word is given to us for our instruction, but it's given us to point us to you, the author of life, and what you have done to save us. And so, God, as we open it, I pray that we would see that. We would see what you have done and then how you have given us grace to obey. And so, God, as we open this today, God, I pray that you would open eyes, you would open ears, and you would open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we ended last week in verse 14. So I'm going to pick back up in verse 14 because, again, he answers uh, uh, the argument that you would naturally think after he says the statement in 14. And so to understand why he responds in 15, we got to look back at 14. So verse 14 says this. 
For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? He's asking a rhetorical question that he answers it by no means. Depending upon your translation, it may say, God forbid, or certainly not. If it just says no, get a better translation, all right? And so, uh, because he is, he is saying this in a forceful way here, all right? He's saying, by no means. And he's already asked this question once at the beginning of chapter six, and now he's asking it again because he knows we're sinful people. We're always gonna push the bounds, all right? We always wanna know the boundaries are so that we can get right up next to them, right? So what teenagers used to always ask me, how far is too far? And I'd be like, I would not answer that question. It's a dumb question, all right? And so the point of what he's getting at here is he's saying, listen, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Now, here's what's confusing when it comes to the Apostle Paul. The words that he uses at different times, he uses them in different ways, and they mean different things. And one of them in particular, which has vexed a lot of theologians and pastors over the years, is this word here, law. Now, this word is referring to just the law. It's referring to, some people think it's referring to the entire Old Testament. Some people uh, think it is referring to specific parts of the law, and we're not under those anymore, but we still are under some of the other ones. But his argument simply is not necessarily in like, oh, are we free to do what we want? But he's talking about now we're no longer under condemnation of the law. So what he's getting at here is simply this, not we're free to act however we want, as it relates to the law, but we are no longer under the condemnation that the law brought because now we're under grace. But when it comes to the law, when people hear that, they naturally respond of, oh, if I'm not under the law then, then I can just keep on sinning. And so that's why Paul says in verse 15, so if I'm not under the law now, can I just keep on sinning? He says, by no means. Here's what's so important to understand as it relates to the law. Again, there are different viewpoints upon this, and people will say, well, we're freed from the Old Testament law, and that is true in some sense. We don't have the ceremonial laws anymore, the religious laws anymore. Thank God we don't have to come to church and sacrifice an animal and that kind of stuff. We don't have the civil laws anymore because as Christians, we're not a nation, so those apply to nations. But there is the sense of the moral law, which is called the Ten Commandments, that Jesus, he didn't do away with, but yet he fulfilled them and he ups them. So regardless of how you think about the law, here's what you need to understand. Grace is not, I say this often, but you need to be reminded of it, grace is not a license to sin. It's not a license to break the law. Grace is now the power of God to obey the law. That's what grace is. This is why Paul, when he talks, he says, listen, I worked harder than anybody, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. So you need to understand what grace is. Grace is not God just saying, I'm cool with whatever you do. No, he still has standards. He still has laws. And, and, and Paul, in another place, calls it the law of Christ. So if you want to call it the Old Testament moral law, if you want to call it the New Testament law of Christ, either way is fine, because here's what you need to understand. Jesus wrote the Old Testament, and he commanded in the New. Same guy. All right? Same guy. And here's what you need to understand. The law of Christ takes the commands of the Old Testament, again, particularly the moral law, and he ups them. So when people say, well, I don't follow the Old Testament law. I'm under, I'm under grace. I'm under the New Testament. You know, my response to them always is, sweet, you do more. You do more. 
not you do less. And this always comes up, listen to me, and laugh with me about this, even though you probably won't find it funny. This always comes up on the subject of tithing. Yeah, I told you, you would laugh, but you wouldn't really find it funny. People will always say, because Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and, and, and people say, I don't tithe, I'm under, the, I'm under the New Testament. You know what I respond back to them? Sweet, you do more than tithing. You upped it. And they always look at me like with a bill. Because no, no, no. here's what you got to understand. The, the law of the Old Testament was the standard and Jesus ups it. Old Testament says, do not murder. Jesus says, if you think murderous thoughts in your head, you've committed the act. So Jesus doesn't just deal with outward actions. He deals with inward dispositions. So here's what I'm getting at. When we think about the law in regards to what grace has done for us, do you see grace as a license to kind of skirt around what God said, or do you see grace as the power to obey it more fully? You see the difference? And here's how Paul's going to argue. Grace is a power to obey it more fully. Why? Look at his next verse, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Look at how Paul, again, appeals to knowing. If you were here last week, we talked about this. Do you not know? And this word here, know, there's different words for know in the Greek. This one is not just no information, but this is to know experientially. He's, don't you know by experience? You, you know this. You know by experience you are slaves to whatever you obey. You're slaves to whatever you obey. Now, a little side note here. We got to talk about this because anytime we see the word slave, we are Americans. We naturally think about the African slave trade and people. Gosh, this is such a bad part of our history as America and as the church. Use the Bible to justify that because Paul talks about it. But you need to understand the biblical concept of slavery is not what happened in the African slave trade. The idea here is of a servitude. And what that means is if you had a debt that you couldn't pay and, and they didn't have, you know, you couldn't file bankruptcy back then and that kind of stuff. You didn't have FDIC protected by the government, all that. So if you had a debt that you couldn't pay, what you would do is you would work off your debt. So you would voluntarily offer yourself as a servant or a slave, this Greek word doulos here, which means you are voluntarily making their will your will. You are offering up yourself to do what they want to do to pay back the debt that you owe. And so what he's saying is simply this, when you obey that, you're a slave to that. Another way to say it is like this, you are slaves to whatever you want most. Whatever you want most, you naturally obey. This is just natural human law. Paul's saying, this is just true. And don't you know that? Don't you know that you're slaves to whatever it is that you obey? So think about obedience. Obedience, again, we just simply think is right and wrong, obeying the rules, that kind of stuff. Here's what you need to understand. Obedience naturally follows worship. You obey whatever you want most. And so whatever you want most, you're going to obey. And when you obey it, you're a slave to it. 
You see the progression of what he's saying here? Let me say it to you like this. Behind every behavior in your life is a belief. Behind every behavior is a belief. You behave that way because you believe something about what you will get out of it. And when you believe that you will get that out of it, you naturally obey it. This is why, interestingly, Jesus, whenever he walked around, you go back and look in the Gospels, he never commanded anybody to worship him. What did he command them to do? Obey him. Why? Because obedience naturally follows worship. Obedience is worship. You obey naturally what you want most. This is why Jesus says, you can't have two masters. You either serve one or hate the other. When he's talking about service there, this is the idea, slavery, obedience. Here's what Paul's saying. Listen, whatever you love most, you're going to obey. And whatever you obey, you're naturally a slave to. So if you think, man, I can just keep on sinning, then you're obeying. And here's the clincher, what you want most, which is not God. And so when he's arguing here about why should we not sin, he's saying because when you behave that way, it's only because you believe sin will bring you something that God can't. And if you think that way, you're a slave to it. You naturally obey it. So thinking about that in like servitude, you want to know why you and I have debt, speaking of tithing, most people give 13% of their income to credit card payments. Why? Because you worshiped whatever you wanted and you charged it and paid interest for it, obeyed it, now you're a slave to it. And nobody made you do that. But why did you do it? Because there was a belief that that thing could get you something. You were like, I know it. I know what'll do it. Granite countertops will do it. Mm-hmm. Gonna make me happy, baby. I know what'll do it. An outside yard set. Mm-hmm. You want it, right? A belief system. Now, are those things bad? No. Not bad. But listen, you naturally obey what you want. And so what Paul's saying here when it comes to grace is grace has given you new wants. You're free now. You're not enslaved to your fleshly desires. And here's what's amazing. Before you came to Christ, the Bible says all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were spiritually dead, even though you were physically alive. And then because of Christ, you become spiritually alive. And now that you're spiritually alive, you're to consider yourself physically dead. The things you used to want, you don't want anymore. This is why last week in the first part of chapter six, we said, consider yourselves dead and alive. So Paul's just continuing that same argument and saying, listen, how do you know what you're dead to? How do you know what you're alive to? Look at what you're obeying. Look at what you're a slave to. Because you're a slave to whatever it is you obey. That's a law. You can't change it. But here's the good news. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God. You just take out thanks be to God. What do you get? But God. You say, you know, I love those two words. Best two words in the Bible. Ephesians 2, right? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. But God made us alive together with Christ by Grace, you have been saved. If it were not from, for God, you and I would still be enslaved. But thanks be to God. 
Thanks be to God, look at this, that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now hang with me at verse 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, let's unpack what he's saying here. So, but thanks be to God, you were. You were slaves of sin, but now have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that you've been committed to. Now, here's what's interesting. Three phrases I want to pick up on here. Look at verse 17 where it says, have become obedient. That is what's, in, what's called in the Greek the aorist tense, which means that refers to a past one-time kind of snapshot event, but it's written in the active voice. So here's what this means. Something happened in the past that's now producing something in the present. So something happened in the past, it's producing something in the present. What it's producing in the present, which is written in the active voice, is obedience. So don't miss this. Your obedience didn't produce it. Something else produced your obedience. Big, big difference. Your obedience did not produce freedom from sin. Please understand that. Something else produced your obedience. Something else produced your freedom from sin. What was it? He says in verse 18, having been, having been that's, that's redneck way of saying it, having been set free, have become slaves of righteousness. Here's what's so interesting about those two phrases. Those are written in the aorist tense as well, which refers to a past action, but those are in the passive voice. So here's what he's saying. You didn't set yourself free. You didn't make yourself slaves of righteousness. Somebody else did. And who was that somebody else? God, Jesus. Yeah, verse 17. Thanks be to who? Come on now. Come on, I'm on priest. But thanks be to who? God. See, God set you free. God made you a slave to righteousness. And now that past action that you had nothing to do with, it was passive on your part, is producing an act of obedience. And that you do have something to do with, but all of that is fueled by grace. Does that make sense? So when he's saying, now don't offer yourself slaves to sin, he's saying, don't go back to what you were because you ain't that anymore. You were a slave to sin, now you're not because God has set you free to, from sin. He has made you a slave to righteousness and now his grace is producing an obedience from the heart. So your obedience doesn't produce it, it produces your obedience. Grace produces your obedience. And now he's saying you are obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We just say a side note here about that. The standard of teaching, the word there is type, type of teaching. Now, we live in a day and age where people aren't even sure what this book says anymore. So a little, little side note, I'm, I'm a, that's me stepping on my soapbox, all right? In case you didn't know what that was. We live in a day and age, and listen, I am not talking about secular culture, I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about government. I'm not talking about schools. I'm talking about the church. 
I can't control what happens out there. We can control what happens in here. But we live in a day and age where the church doesn't even look to this book as authoritative. And what happens instead of having this book, which is the Bible in case you're confused, all right, having this over us and directing us, we put this book down here and we direct this and we like, well, is that really what it means? I mean, I know we have 2,000 years of church history that says that's what it means, but we are 21st century people. We are smart. I don't think that's what it means. And we have people in the church who are no longer holding to this standard of teaching. Church, let me, let me say something to you, because when I'm talking about standard of teaching, I'm not talking about me, although I am a teacher. But even the weekends I'm not teaching, you want to know what the standard's going to be? And if anybody teaches here that ain't up to this standard, guess what? They ain't teaching here no more. Why? Because you start messing with this standard, then we have completely detached ourselves from anything solid. So you need to understand. Paul says it to Timothy. He says it to Titus. In the latter days, people will no longer want sound doctrine. And you'll have pastors, so-called pastors in so-called churches that will try to tell you there's a different standard. And here's, again, notice the context in which he's talking about. He's talking about whether grace is a license to sin. So you'll start having people saying, well, that old standard of sin, it's not sin. You don't have to reject that because that standard isn't sinful now. And so when it comes to understanding the role of grace, understanding the role of the law, you need to understand it's what God says. As we open this book, I, I told you it, when we started Romans, one of my favorite quotes from R.C. Sproul, who's now gone to be with Jesus, he says he hates it, the bumper stickers that say, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. He says what it should say is God says it, that settles it. Doesn't matter what you believe. God said it, that settles it. And what did he say? He said it in this book. So here's the standard. And the standard is this is sin and this is not sin. And grace empowers me to be free from that and now to obey this. So here's what he's talking about. Again, you got to understand the role of grace. He's saying, listen, this grace, thanks be to God, he's made you alive. And now what has he made you alive to do? Not to keep on doing what you used to do. I love how Paul talks about when he writes to people, he says, and you once were this, and now you're not. You once did this, and now you don't. See, there's beliefs behind every behavior. You behave the way that you believe. What does the gospel do? It changes your beliefs. And what is that naturally going to do? Change your behaviors. So that's how he's arguing here when it comes to grace. Now, look at verse 19. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You want to know what verse 20 says? When you were a slave of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. That's Paul's attempt at a joke. He's saying you had no righteousness. When you were a slave to sin, you were free to righteousness. Why? Because you couldn't obey anything. But now, thanks be to God, you do have a freedom. And this freedom is now not meant to sin. This freedom now is meant to do something different, obey, which leads to something different, which is sanctification. What's, what's really cool, this word here, sanctification, that's a big theological word. It may not even be a word that you use often, but let me break it down for you. It's the Greek word hagiosmos. Now the root word there, hagios, is also the word holiness. So anytime you see the word holiness in your Bible, more than likely it's the Greek word hagios. Sanctification is hagias mos. So let me translate that for you. I'm gonna use Spanish now. Mas hagios. More holiness. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is simply this, more holiness than you had yesterday. That's all it is. And this word sanctuary, again, you ever wonder where we got the word sanctuary from? It's the same word, sanctuary, sanctification, holiness. So sanctuary is simply a holy place where in the preaching of God's word, people become more holy. Make sense? So here's the point. The point is grace now empowers you to have moss holiness, more holiness. But why do you and I not experience so often more holiness? Because we still have a slave mindset. Paul says he's talking in human terms because of our natural limitations. So, so here's what he's getting at. He's talking about deep spiritual truths but in order to help us understand those spiritual truths, he's using real world examples. So think of a parable. Here's a real world example, but it means something deeper. So here's how Paul's arguing. He's using slaves. So let's think back. Now let's think about in America. Even though I told you that that wasn't the biblical definition of slavery, but think back on the history of our country. When unfortunately, Slavery was perpetuated. And then thankfully, some Christians, which started in Britain, came here, said, no, everybody's equal in the sight of God. You know your history, the Emancipation Proclamation went out, you're free. But did most African people who were slaves instantly start acting differently? No, why? A lot of them, sadly, even stayed working as slaves because that's all they knew, even though they had been, been pronounced free. And what do you think happened? Even for those slaves that were freed from the harsh conditions of their slave master, what do you think happened in their heart when they saw their slave master again? Do you think they naturally in their heart, started quaking in their boots because here's a guy who used to beat me and now he shows up and he still has power over me in my mind. And so they naturally revert back to, oh, he has control over me, even though Abraham Lincoln had said, you're free. The same thing happens to us. Christ has said, you're free. You've been pronounced free. But when your old master of sin shows up, you start reverting back to a 12-year-old kid, right? 
Think about this in your life. Remember back in middle school and high school, and maybe some of you are in that age now, when you dated somebody, and y'all dated for a while, and it was puppy love, and it was awesome, like you were so in love, right? We're not saying it's not love. We're just saying you felt something, but it's not love. And so when you have this... When you have these feelings, right, and you're in this, you go from friends, uh, from friends to friends with benefits or whatever, right? And then you date for like three weeks, and then she says, this never happened to me, but she says, I just want to go back to being friends. And naturally in your mind, you're like, we've come too far. We can't go back to being friends. It's not how this works. It's either you're dead to me or we're, we're dating, right? <laughs> and then, you know, he broke up with you or she broke up with you. What happened? When you were in the lunchroom and he shows up and she shows up and the relationship is over, you still have those feelings? Yeah. Because you went too far in the relationship and now, even though you've been set free from it, you just haven't seen it as freedom yet because she's crazy, right? You haven't seen that yet. <laughs> Woo. Praise Jesus for Baptist girls, all right? And so... I mean that good because my wife grew up in a Baptist church, all right? She ain't crazy. But you're re even, listen, even though your relationship changed, your feelings toward them didn't. Paul's arguing it's the same way with sin. Your relationship with sin changed. It's no longer your master, but when it shows up, you still get all giddy. Your feelings towards it didn't change. Let me use another human example as Paul's arguing here. Let's say you grew up in a dysfunctional household and your parents were very dysfunctional and you, by God's grace, maybe got out and you have a more functional life. What happens when you walk back into that household? You naturally revert back to thinking and acting. You're like, I'm a grown man and I'm acting 14 because they have a certain power over you, even though you're out of it now, but you get back into it and you naturally slap back in to your old habits. It's like whenever, even to this day, I mean, I'm 40. My father's 66. He drives with me. I get a little nervous. I don't want to wreck anything, right? And he, he has a big old dually truck, so I'm like real nervous. Here's how Paul's arguing. Sin shows back up in your life, and you automatically start cowering to it because it was your master. And even though your relationship with it has changed, your heart towards it is still being changed. So this is why it's so important to not present your members to it anymore. Because the more you present your members to it, the more power it will continue to have over you. Remember, behaviors follow beliefs. And so you have to tell yourself, I'm not your slave anymore. You don't own me anymore. I don't have to do that. Any do I want to do it? Yeah, everything in me wants to do it, but I don't have to. I'm free from it. And how do we do that? Here's how Paul argues Look at what it leads to. Look at verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. How's he arguing here? Here's what's amazing. Long before Stephen Covey came up with the seven habits of highly effective people and habit number two that said, begin with the end of mind, Paul wrote it down 2,000 years earlier. He's saying, begin with the end in mind. Here's how he's arguing. 
Are there things in your life now that you're ashamed of of what you did 10 years ago? How many, let's do a straw poll here, both, both locations. How many of you right now, I don't care how old you are, if you could go back in time and tell a younger version of yourself to not do something, you would take that chance. How many of you would do that? Look around the room. You're not the only dysfunctional one here, all right? This is healthy exercise. My name's Jason. I'm dysfunctional, all right? <laughs> so, again, I turned 40 last year. If I could travel back in time and tell my 20-year-old self, don't do that. I promise you, you're gonna love yourself more if you don't. If you could go back in time and tell a younger version of yourself, don't do that. And what's the argument you would tell your younger self? You would say, listen, that Snickers leads somewhere. <laughs> you know what I used to think? And I'm so scared of saying this because my wife's gonna use this example against me which is one of the reasons why I'm taking a break over the next couple of weeks is I got to look at my own self. <clears throat> but you know what I used to think? I can eat a salad today or I can eat a Snickers today and I'm going to look the same tomorrow. That's true, isn't it? <clears throat> I can eat a salad today or I can eat a Snickers. And in 24 hours, I'm not going to look any different. But what happens if I eat a salad every day for six years and a Snickers every day for six years? Am I going to look different? I'm either going to look like a rabbit or a bear, right? <laughs> for real. And the problem with eating like a bear is I don't sleep for, you know, six months. Going to hibernation mode, so I got to store. I used to, literally, I used to tell people, this was when Y2K was coming. Remember Y2K, how crazy that was? I used to tell people, I'm just saving up for the end of the world. For real. But if I could go back to my 20-year-old self and sucker, you're killing me. The future you ain't happy with you. But here's my next question. If you could go back and tell your younger self that, then why don't you tell your current self that? Why don't you tell your current self Hey, what you're doing today is going to lead somewhere tomorrow. It's going to lead somewhere tomorrow. So if you want that tomorrow, start today. If you want a different result tomorrow, five years from now, 10 years from now, and I'm not talking about just health. I'm talking about every area of your life. This is just a true principle. Paul says in Galatians chapter six, you reap what you sow. You are currently, listen to me, you are currently reaping right now the life that you sowed five years ago. Now, can other people have sowed into it and you have reaped the unfortunate benefits of their choices? Yes. However, this is why most people become their own abusers. Even if you suffered abuse, that person may not have been in your life for five years, but now you're abusing yourself by continuing to say the same things they said to you. You can't choose what they did, but you can choose to let it live in you today. And if you want a different you tomorrow, where is this leading to today? Paul says, you present yourself to sin it leads to death. 
you present yourself to righteousness, it leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. My friends, the gospel changed our ending. It changed our ending. We now have eternal life, not eternal death. So if that is our ending, then so into that now. And this is where most Christians think that freedom comes when Jesus returns or they die. Now more freedom comes in, but it comes now too. It's not that one day we break into heaven. It's that one day in the past, heaven broke into earth. And the freedom that Christ had, he's extended to you. Why? Because only free people can make other people free. The reason why Christ alone, show me another human that was free. Show me another human that did what he did and not just gave his life, but raised back from the dead. He was so free. Death couldn't even hold him. He was so free. Like I'm going to bust out of this prison from the inside. And when he left, we get to leave with him. And if we walk with him now and we sow into our relationship with him now, then we will start to experience that life that will be true about us eternally now. Now we just get it in seed form. Then we'll get it in its fullest form. Why do you think we built our whole mission statement on this phrase, grow? Gospel, relationships, obedience, works. We use the tree to illustrate the process. Why? Because it's just biblical. Fruit. What fruit are you getting? See, fruit is just another way of saying results, produce. And when the gospel comes into your life, saves you, makes you free, then the power of God through the grace of God starts to change you. It starts to change your relationships, the roots in your life. It starts to produce from the heart in obedience. And then it starts to produce works that one day you're not going to be ashamed of. You see that? That's the argument of Paul's making. Why is grace not a license to sin? Because the things you've got right now from that sinful choice five years ago, you're not happy about. So grace now empowers you to make different choices today so that one day you'll have an obedience and a works that you are proud of, not in a bad way, because God gets all the glory for it. Last verse, verse 23, one you know well, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, the payment. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift is life. What's offered you today is life. What's offered you today is God will come in and save you, save you from sin, save you from death. But not only that, he will sanctify you from the inside out and take you to more life. So the free offer of the gospel is not just trust Christ and be saved. The free offer of the gospel is yes, trust Christ and be saved, but look at all this you get with it. You get freedom, you get power, you get grace to sow something different, 
to have a kind of life that you can look back on and say, look at what the grace of God did. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life that I look back on and I'm ashamed of. That's one of the reasons why I'm taking a break. Because in teaching, sometimes you can teach and not apply it to yourself. So I've got to take some time and look at my own life and say, God, are there things that I'm sowing that aren't healthy? I got to, I got to check myself. <laughs> you know the rest of that phrase. <laughs> Before I wreck myself. Because speaking of teaching, Hebrews 13, 7 says this. You might want to just write it down as a reference. Remember your leaders, those who taught the word of God to you. Here's the part that slays me. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So you're not only to listen to what I'm teaching to you, but you're to look at me and see if I'm believing it myself. If, if the behaviors are coming out based upon a rock solid belief system, so in the same way, I've got to get away and consider the outcome of my own way of life. You need to do the same for yourself and consider the outcome of your way of life. What is it producing? And if it's not eternal life, then it won't last. And if it's not of God, it's not good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your gospel, the good news of what Christ did. Thank you that you didn't just save us for some future reality, but you saved us so that life could break in now and we could be freed from the penalty of sin now and, and be freed from the power of sin as we sow into by grace these new behaviors, these new ways of walking. And God, I know that there are people here today that haven't trusted you. They don't know what it means to be saved. So God, I pray you'd save them. But then there are some, God, that have been saved, but if they were honest, they just haven't been sowing. And therefore, they haven't grown more holiness. Either way, the response is the same. We repent. We believe that your grace has not only saved us, but empowered us. And then we sow differently. But for those who haven't trusted you and been saved, God, right now I pray that you would save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted Christ, you've never had this experience where Christ came in and set you free. And he did it because you understood that he paid for your sins on the cross. So if you want to trust him and have your sins forgiven, I'm just going to lead you in a, in a prayer. And you can pray with me, not out loud, but I want you to understand what's happening. If God has opened your eyes to see the truth, then that is God regenerating you. And now you can respond in faith. And if that happens, you'll be saved. So if that's you right there, if you want to pray with me again, not out loud, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. 
that you sent your son in my place for my sins. I ask you to save me, forgive me. By grace, through faith in Christ. I'm trusting Jesus alone. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking as we close, but if you just trusted Christ, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a Bible in your hand so that you can now have this word that was preached to you and you can start sowing into your new life. And when you get that, you can put them down. But then as always, those that have trusted Christ, you don't need to be saved again. You just need to stop, take a look at your life and consider the outcome. And say, is this gonna get me what I want? I don't wanna be a slave to things that aren't leading to more holiness. And then simply ask in the same way, God, give me more grace to sow. Because here's the hard part about sowing. You don't see it overnight. It's over time. It's not overnight. Sanctification starts in an instance, but it progresses over time. So you don't see it overnight. This is why Paul says in Galatians 6, don't give up on doing good for in due time you will reap if you don't quit. So don't quit on sowing into holiness. Don't quit on the word of God. Don't quit on attending service and listening to the word of God preached. Don't quit on the process of growth and relationships and obedience. Don't quit. And you will see, you will look back and say, I'm proud of what God's done. God, that's what we want. We wanna be proud of the life that you've created in us and you've grown. And all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. And so all of us, if we could go back and tell our younger self, would do things differently, but help us by grace to do them differently today so that one day in the future, we can look back on this day and see that this was the day that I started acting what I was. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.